Mindfulness Mode 140. And I don't hold a lot of pain or being upset or being mad. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host, Bruce Langford. On Mindfulness Mode, we talk about how people from all walks of life have discovered mindfulness and how it's impacted their lives to help them become more calm, focused, and happy. Thanks so much for joining us here in Mindfulness Mode. To thank you for listening, I'll send you a free copy of my book. I teamed up with author Brian Tracy, along with some other entrepreneurs, to create the best-selling book called Cracking the Success Code. You'll learn more about my story and how I became an anti-bullying advocate, which later led to mindfulness and my mindfulness coaching. Get the book free at mindfulnessmode.com slash cracking. Enter your name and email and you'll have your book downloaded in no time. Enjoy the book, Mindful Tribe. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I'm totally thrilled to have Gary Leland on the line today. Hey, Gary, are you in mindfulness mode? You know, I think I'm always in mindfulness mode. (laughs) (laughs) I do, too. Uh, Gary Leland is an online legend. He started his first online store in 1996 and started podcasting in 2004. He's passionate about fast-pitch softball and sports in general. He sells softball-related merchandise online and has a podcast called The Gary Leland Show, where he interviews interesting guests about business and marketing. Gary has his feet planted firmly on the ground, and after meeting him in person at Podcast Movement 2016 in Chicago, I got the feeling he has a real sense of mindfulness, even if he might use other words to describe it. So... What does mindfulness mean to you, Gary? Well, I think mindfulness to me means being calm and seeing the big picture uh, to me, not uh, panicking. You know, when I was a kid, you know, this is a terrible example, but I used to be not such a – I used to do too much partying as a teenager. Yeah. And (laughs) this may not fit the mode, but I would always be – my curfew was like – 12 o'clock and I'd be rolling in at three or four. Oh yeah. And in the last hour or two, I was in so much worried about the trouble I was going to be in. And I can't remember what some girl says, what are you, why are you such a party pooper? I said, ah, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble when I get home and say, well, if you don't uh, worry about it, are you still going to get in as much trouble? And I said, yeah. And she goes, we well, might as well have a good time. And so <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but I still remember that. And I really think that affected me that now I'm calm about most things, no matter how panicky it is. That's a terrible way to learn that lesson. But I'm very calm about stuff. I don't panic about stuff. And I don't dwell on stuff. When it's over, it's over. So to me, that's my mindfulness is I just go on. Well, I agree that that is mindfulness. And actually, I think that's a great way to describe it because I think so many of us worry about things. And if we did stop and just think about it for a second, think, hey, just a second, is the same thing going to happen whether I worry or not? And usually the answer is, yeah, Yeah. what's going to happen is going to happen, right? (laughs) Yeah, and I don't even remember who that was that said it, where we were at. All I know is I was going to be a couple hours late and I was having... A terrible time. I was going to get in trouble for having a terrible time. Yeah. You know, and then yeah. she had a point. She was like, well, you're going to get in trouble either way. You might as well enjoy yourself. And I was like, God, that makes sense. <laughs> and so, but I think that's carried, carried over my life is if things are going to go, if you're going to be in trouble, if you're going to, something's not going to go right, worrying about it's not going to correct it. Just take care of the situation. And, and in that case, when I was 17, the situation was having a good time. Yeah. 
you know, now the situation may be make some more money or uh, get rid of that problem, whatever it is that you have. But th- those sits are just worrying about it because the results going to be the same. Well, and I was just going to say a lot of people that I talk to, maybe they're online entrepreneurs, they're trying to get some webinar going or something, and they're just worried sick about it. And, you know, so it carries over to the online world is that we can worry and we can like have so much anxiety. But the whole thing is, you know, it'll probably work better if you can just relax and just go bit by bit, step by step. So back in 1979, you started your business. What did it look like back then, Gary? Well, when we started our business, we spent $25 um, and it was my wife and I, and we bought samples of mini blinds, like a color sample wheel. Oh yeah. And printed, uh, some flyers. Um, actually I think we printed those flyers. She was a school teacher at her work cause it was hard to find a printer back then, you know, yeah. we didn't have a printer nor a computer and, uh, a drill to, uh, install mini blinds with. And we went door to door, knocking on doors, mm-hmm. selling mini blinds. That's my business. How it started was knocking door to door, selling mini blinds. Is uh, that those, right? Those one inch metal mini blinds. Yeah. And so were they fairly new at that time? They were brand new even. And, and there weren't home depots and Lowe's like we have at the time now. Right. You had hardware stores, but not super stores, I guess yes. I would say. And most of them didn't have them. Because uh, they weren't standard. You couldn't buy them in a box already made. There were no mm-hmm. stock. It was all custom. But, okay. yeah, we would walk down one side of the street and come back up the other and uh, just knocking on doors. And and people would be – after we sold them, they would be – the question and result, the answer we'd get was from them. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe y'all came by. This is so wonderful. I had no idea where to go get these. Yeah. Because they there was – it was you didn't know where to go get them. So it was just – not that we were rocket scientists. It was just an accident right place right time yes and uh we ended up turning that into gosh a million dollar business i mean we were doing more mini blinds than anyone well i wouldn't say anyone in texas because apartment people who did apartment complexes probably did more mm-hmm. you know, it was a large volume but as far as residential right you know we probably did more and than anyone in texas we ended up with a full crew of people going door to door all over dallas fort worth which is a huge city and uh, that's how the business actually started with selling mini blinds door to door with a $25 investment. Very, very cool. And then where did you go after that? You had this team installing mini blinds and then did you start marketing them in other ways or what happened after that? Well, we had, uh, we broke up the teams. Uh, we would hire people to work areas of mm-hmm. Dallas Fort Worth. And like someone had North Dallas, someone had South Dallas, someone had Mid City, someone had Fort Worth, North Fort Worth. And we had sales reps in all these areas and they just sold. And then we had installers that came back after them and installed the finished product because the salesmen were way too valuable to me to be spending any time installing. Right. Um, you know, they could be making a thousand dollar sale, which half was profit, and we split that 50 50. Mm-hmm. So they could be making me $250 in an hour versus an installer you know, making me a hundred bucks. So sure. we had, we had two crews and we did that for a long time. And that, that really was good. In 1991, we were in, they had SMU, uh, Southern Methodist university had the Dallas 100 awards for the first time. And we were in the Dallas 100 awards for the hundred fastest growing companies in Dallas, Fort Worth. Um, we were 99 
talking about. We we were still we were still in the top one hundred right, even in yeah. ninety nine. Yep. So that was going really good. But the problem with that business and a lot of business models that people don't think going in is the fact that any of the people who worked for me that I took fifty percent of the profits from mm-hmm. for twenty five dollars could start their own business. Yeah. Just like I did. Right. Because <laughs> right, I trained right. them how to do it. And what happened was three or four of my top guys, which represented, you know, maybe if I was doing a hundred thousand to 120 a month, these three represented 70,000, mm-hmm. you know, that in sales, they decided to go into business for themselves and compete against me. Okay. And so like one month I did a hundred, I'm just going to say a hundred for conversation purpose, a hundred thousand mm-hmm. next month I did 30. Right. Okay. You know, so yeah. it really affected us uh, drastically, you know? And how did you deal with that? Like, were you angry? Were you like, did that sort of pull you down a bit? No, I, I really don't get too angry. And if I do, I'm usually over it by the next day. Right. Um, so I'm not one of those people that linger on that kind of stuff. My biggest problem was uh, vendors. You know, mm-hmm. I owed mm-hmm. you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars or a hundred thousand. I can't remember how much it was. It seemed like all the money in the world at the yeah. time. Yeah. And my income had just dropped by 70%. Yeah. So I had to, well, I, all the vendors were manufacturers, which were local, you know, because mm-hmm. we didn't ship them out of town and I'm in a big area. So we have a lot of manufacturers in this area, but I went and they were maybe four or five that were the, the big bulk of it that I was worried about. So I just went and personally visited each one of them. And because I was a company that did a lot of business, I knew all the GMs or presidents or whoever they were at the time. Sure, sure. So I just made appointments and went and saw every one of them and said, hey, I can't pay you. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I'm not going to have the money. I'm going to be late. I know I'm not late now, but I know that in 30 days or 20 days or 10 days, I'm going to start being late on the payments. Right. And I'm here to work out a payment process. And, uh, you know, I said, why don't you put me on COD? I'll pay cash on delivery plus 10%. And 10% will go to my old debt that I'm getting ready to have, which isn't old yet, but it's getting ready to be old. Okay. And they all agreed to that. And so that kept me afloat. Then as time went by, they actually, I think all of them took me off of COD and put me on credit again, plus 10% going to the old debt. I so see. I, to make it easier for me, because they saw that I was working toward it and I was up front. I think, I think that's the problem with a lot of people when they get in trouble is they don't face it head on. You know, if you just face it head on, it, it shrinks. I mean, instead of growing. You know, instead of them like calling collection agencies after me or mm-hmm. something like that, you know, because I went to them, they all worked with me and they knew I was the stand up guy. And I had proven myself by doing that to be a stand up guy. It's right. not like they're going to, as Dave Jackson says, punch you in the face, you mm-hmm. know, for coming in there and saying, hey, I want to work out this payment plan. Most people never call them there. I think they're so excited and amazed that someone came in and go, man, <laughs> you're here. You're not <laughs> yeah. Instead of going bankrupt or us having to call a collection agency, uh, I don't know how to handle this. Yeah, different approach. Yeah, <laughs> and yet it seems like it makes perfect sense when you talk about it. But I mean, the thing is, you get in that position, and for most of us, our emotions take over, and you know, you're like freaking out, and you're thinking, "Oh, what am I going to do?" And oh, I'll just get, I'll, I'll just get through till tomorrow, and then I'll figure it out. And and so we don't just casually, calmly deal with it up front like you did. Well, it's pretty obvious in my situation when your business drops that much in one day. I mean, which was my own stupidity. I was still a young kid, mm-hmm. you know. But when your business drops that much in one day, you're definitely going to be in trouble. You know, we sure. were 
we were young. We were like thinking it was never going to end. We were renting limos, going mm. to Europe. Uh, we, we thought this was, my parents kept going, you need to be sucking that money away. We were like, yeah. are you crazy? This is never ending. Yeah. Um, but it does. <laughs> so you learned, you yeah. learned. Yeah. And then what happened in uh, 96, you had your first online store. Yeah, I did. Um, I had discovered the internet. I started working on that probably in 95. I discovered the internet and I thought I just, I was uh, mesmerized with it. I mean, right away, my wife was even mad at me because I was on it so much. Mm-hmm. As slow as it was, yeah, you know, I think I had a 12K modem or something. Yeah. And uh, and you'd yeah. wait forever to get on there for yeah. a picture to res. But I was mesmerized with it. And I wanted to. We had converted the wa- uh, blind business into a wallpaper business. Okay. Because those wallpaper books cost 100 bucks a piece. Uh-huh. And no one can, like, say, okay, I'm going to, like, start my own wallpaper business tomorrow for 25 bucks. Right. So we had gotten into the wallpaper business uh, and had become very successful at that. Uh, converting over, we still sold blinds and everything, but we were av- pushing the wallpaper. Mm-hmm. And so I decided I would put a wallpaper website together, and there was one already, so I didn't make the first one. But uh, I don't know if he really knew what he was doing or not either. Nor did anybody at that point in time, I guess. Right. So I called all my manufacturers and said, "Hey, do you have any pictures you can send me of room settings of wallpaper or something?" And um, they were, why do you want these? I said, well, I'm going to make this website and sell wallpaper. And they were all mm-hmm. like, are you crazy? <laughs> That's all of them. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Yeah. No one will buy stuff on the internet. And I said, well, and I remember going, well, I would. Yeah. So I don't know why anyone else wouldn't. I think I'm pretty average Joe. I always say that's my superpowers. I'm pretty, I pretty much see things in and am an average Joe. Um, and that's always what I think has been my success to fame is how I see things. Right. Anyway, uh, I decided to go on. We didn't have digital cameras back then. No. Uh, or anything like that. And so I got a scanner mm-hmm. and we started cutting pages out of wallpaper books and scanning them. Okay. That's how we put the site together. And we built a site and became very successful. And those sites still up today. Um, Leland'sWallpaper.com. And this, my store is still in business today. It's the largest wallpaper store in Texas. And yeah. it's in the same parking lot as my sporting good business, but just the other end of the, park, other end of the uh, shopping center. So how did people buy the wallpaper? Did they send you a check in the mail? What did they do? Oh, some did. Some did. But yeah, we had a shopping cart. A friend of mine that I knew was trying to get into um, building, hosting and stuff like that. This is before GoDaddy and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So he helped me with a shopping cart. Okay. And uh, I did about everything else. I couldn't figure out the shopping cart. So he helped me with that. And I remember at the bottom of the shopping cart, it would have send your checks too. Because a lot of people were scared to send. Uh, credit cards. Oh, I don't want anyone get my credit card information. Right, sure. Yeah. And so they would send us checks in the mail, and we'd cash the checks, and you know. Uh, but it, it was it was fifty fifty. But it was very. It, but I still remember my friend Mark gives me a hard time all the time. I've known him forever, and he comes over and goes, "I still remember that day you said, Mark, we must sold ten orders today. Yeah. <laughs> you were so excited about those ten internet orders. Yeah. You know? And so, did you sell mostly to people? kind of in your region and in the U.S., or did you sell, like, all over the world? We sold mostly U.S., but we would get some orders from uh, South America. Mm-hmm. But it was mostly U.S. Right. Yeah, I'd say I'd say 95 to 98% U.S. I see. So it was pr- relatively easy to send the wallpaper out to to people within your own country. Yeah, yeah, we would. <laughs> this is kind of funny, too. We would go to the post office. I'd go to the post office every afternoon with the boxes. 
Mm-hmm. And as business got busier, you know, I'm hauling in more and more boxes. Right. And, uh, you know, there's such a thing as called as bound printed matter for shipping. Okay. And you get a really good price in your shipping if it's bound printed matter. Okay. And a book would be bound printed matter. Okay. Okay. And you would get a great price for shipping that. I would ship everything as bound printed matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, and not like I was trying to steal anything. I just figured it was matter. It was printed. And it was bound up in a roll. Right, to sure. Me, that's bound printed matter. Right. And uh, one day, the uh, went in there after going in there for months and months mm-hmm. doing this. The guy goes, "Hold on one second. He went and got the postmaster inspector guy. Yes. And he goes, "You're shipping this wallpaper bound printed matter." I said, "Yeah, uh, you're correct." And he goes, "Well, it's not." I said, "Yeah, it is." And we had this really long discussion. <laughs> yeah. About whether this was bound printed matter or not, and he really couldn't win the argument with me. And so yes. he said, "Okay, go ahead and ship it all today as bound printed matter." Next day, I come in with my 50 boxes or whatever, and he goes, okay, I've been studying this. <laughs> and he has the book, the Postal Inspector Rule Book, I guess. I don't know yeah. what it is. And he goes, it says right here, must be bound with a staple or glue. Oh. <laughs> and I said, well, it has glue on the back of the wallpaper because it is pre-pasted yeah. wallpaper. And he looked at me for a second, and he goes, hey, I remember him, he goes, for real? <laughs> He goes, it's not bound printed matter. You can't do it anymore. I said, okay. But that was so funny because I really thought it was bound printed matter. I mean, you know. Sure. And I guess what they really meant was books, right? right. Books but, is but what they were getting at. Me, maybe that's what it was meant for. Yeah. But I felt like you left that too wide open. Yeah. Because I knew it was matter and I knew it was printed. And I felt <laughs> being in a roll was kind of bound up in a roll and put in a plastic bag. Sure. Yeah, so I felt like I qualified, even though that was not the intent of the rule. So then your costs went up a bit then, Gary. Is that right? Yeah, but it wasn't addressed. Just my savings went down. Right, okay. That's how I looked at it. My savings went down. Just yeah. that's a glass half empty, half full. You know, huh. So I was saving money by getting the bound printed matter. Yeah. The, the cost is what it should have been to begin with. So that was a funny story to me, though. I, I still remember that today, that postal inspector coming out and losing that first argument with me. That really is funny. And it sounds like even though it was kind of an argument, I mean, you kept your cool. You just talked about it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, you know, yeah. We weren't, we weren't like, yeah. I call it an argument, but to me, that would be a discussion would probably sure. be more, more appropriate. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that has really helped you through the years is that you have always kept your, your calm and cool and what some people would say is, you know, you've been mindful. You've had mindfulness throughout. Well, if that's mindfulness, I definitely have because I don't get too upset about too much. Yeah. And even when I do get upset, it doesn't last too long. You know, some people, well, my wife's a perfect example. She can still tell you about an argument we had in 1984. <laughs> I can't tell you about an argument we had last week, you know. Right, yeah. Yeah, you just just move on. Yeah. Yeah, and, and they say you need to release all that stuff or it builds up mm-hmm. if you don't talk about it. I, I don't know if you've heard it before. I hear that all the time. Yeah. From, I watch some show. You need to bring this out and talk about it. Maybe that's true. But I think that if you keep all that stuff, whether you talk about it or not, I think it's does more harm having all this stuff that you're retaining. Yeah, rehashing it all the time yeah. is just kind of reliving it. Yeah, because your mind to me is like a computer. You almost got so much storage space up there. Yeah. And if you want to fill up all that storage space with pointless things that do you no good at all except for make you upset – then that's crazy. I'd rather fill up my space with information that's going to make me happy and make me money. Because I'd be honest with you, I like making money. Yeah. I mean, I tell people that all the time, but I do. And, you know, when I was a kid, everybody had their goals. And my, my goal was not to be poor. 
know, it wasn't to be rich. It wasn't to be poor. And I've succeeded in that very successfully. And, uh, you know, if you've been poor, you kind of know that's not a real fun deal. No, no, that's not a fun place to be at all. And, you know, the thing is, I mean, some people have some kind of a, a message playing in their mind that holds them back from making money. You don't. You like money. You're, you're, you know that. You admit that. But what, what do you say to people that have this message going on over and over, you know, for some reason in their mind, they don't think they should make money? Well, I think that some people are self-defeating like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think some people bring themselves to failure because, as I said, your mind is a computer. Whatever information you want to put in there is going to happen. It's like my softball team, my girls, when they were 12, 13, 14, 15, we won two state championships, 14 under, 15 under, came two games away from winning the World Series. And I always told them, your brain is just like a real fancy computer. If you're always telling yourself, I can hit that ball, I'm going to win this game, I can get that out, I can get this strike, you probably are going to do it a lot more often if you say, man, I'm not going to hit this ball or I'm not going to be successful or I'm not going to get a home run or we're going to lose this game. I think it's pretty basic information there. You get what you get put in there. I mean, you put in positive stuff, it's going to happen. You put in self-defeating information into your brain there, that computer's going to calculate you're going to fail and you will. Yeah, and with a computer, you can re- reprogram it. Well, you can reprogram your mind. How do we do that? You start thinking on the positive thoughts. You start telling yourself what you want to do. You start telling yourself every day you're going to be successful. I'm not saying it's going to happen every time, and I'm not saying there aren't odds you can't overcome. That's all part of life, and it is going to be. But I'm saying for the majority of the people, if you tell yourself you're going to be successful, and you work and you tell yourself over and over you're going to be, and you put in the time, you just can't sit at home eating peanut butter sandwiches playing World of Warcraft. And say, I'm going to be successful. You'll get good at World of Warcraft and get fat. You'll be successful at that. But if you put in the time while you're programming your mind to tell yourself you're going to be successful, you probably will be. I believe. That's been one of my things that I've always believed since I was a little kid is I've got to tell myself, even when I would go to work, I would always come in. As I told you, I partied a lot when I was young. Yeah. I was I was as good a partier as you could get. I was I could have won an election at partier of the year. But when I went to work that morning, no matter how hungover I was that day when I woke up, how hard a time I had getting out of bed, I walked in that door. And when I walked in that door, I told myself, okay, that's all gone. Let's go on today. We're going to do great things today. And then from then on out, I never I never brought it up. I never said to anyone, oh, my gosh, did I party? Am I hungover? Am I worn out? Am I tired? I, that wasn't my vocabulary while I was working. Right. I think that's the same principle. Yeah. So, Gary, let's talk about your routines. Do you have a certain morning routine that you kind of do every day? I kind of do the same thing, and it's not probably a very good routine. After after listening to some of the routines of people on your show, I feel like I got a terrible routine all of a sudden. <laughs> but I get up, grab my, I grab my phone and my glasses. Yeah. I go into the den. I turn on the news because I like listening to news, watching the news. I'm a news junkie. Yeah. I think I learn a lot of information that helps me in business by watching the news. So I watched, I watched the news and I got like six channels up there at one time, you know? Yeah. Um, if you're, so I'm, I'm a super news junkie and I go from screen to screen on the six channel thing on mm-hmm. the six screen thing. And then I, first thing I do is I start going through all my emails and all my Facebook messages and proving my groups. I have a ton of stuff. I mean, that's like a half an hour to 45 minutes every morning. And I try to get that done really quick. 
Mm-hmm. Then I basically, once I get that done, I just go and take a shower, come make a protein shake, and come to the office. I like to get here a couple hours early. We won't open till ten, but as you, we're, we're here at eight in the morning this morning doing this conversation. I like to get a couple of hours in by myself. Yeah. I think that's really my time. Is this couple of hours? I got all my emails done when I get here. I got all my social media uh, contacts and things I have to do done. And this is when I, these two hours are pretty strong for me. This is when I get a lot accomplished. I get less accomplished as people start rolling in here because now I got to start supervising and telling people what to do and making sure they're on track and stuff like that. And so how many do you have there on your team working for you on a given day? We have six in this office here that I see on a regular basis. Now over the wallpaper store, there's a few more, but we've got counting part timers, maybe 12 people. Mm -hmm. Everybody here though does a lot. Yeah. Uh, I'm not one of those people that have people that do uh, a job. Everyone that works for me can do every job here except for like payroll and things like that. Right. You know, things that I do. Yeah. And so um, is that because then if you lose somebody, then, you know, everybody else can kind of fill in the slack? You can, but it's also because, uh, for instance, that girl working out front, uh, let's say at 10 o'clock, there'll be a girl working out front there selling softball mm-hmm. You know, from 11 to 1, we might not have a customer. Right. You know, I'm pretty much like to get my money's worth. Sure. You know? So that's two, three hours during the day that she has no one to do anything with out there. It only takes – my way of doing stuff, we straighten up all the time. So it only takes a couple minutes to keep the store clean. Yeah. I want her doing something. She can be helping. During that two or three hours, she can be adding new products to the website. She can mm-hmm. walk back here and help with shipping. I mean, you know, things like that. Yeah. So it's more so – that we get to make them more productive, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. That's a great byproduct is the fact that if someone's out, everybody knows how to do everything. But the real purpose is to get its maximum uh, usage or maximum benefit out of the employees. Sure, that makes sense. So you mentioned Facebook. Is that your favorite social media? By far. I have maybe 10 pages. My biggest page has 108,000 uh, fans. I have like 460 Facebook groups. Um, I do a lot on Facebook. I'm a heavy Facebook user. Well, my next questions are part of the multi-mode round, so I just want to ask you some short questions, 30-second answers. The first one is this. Who's one person who has influenced you to be calm, be the way you are, be so grounded, be mindful? Who is one person? I'd have to say that was my mother. Mm-hmm. She was like that. She was always, and we were always brought up. She goes, okay, we're not going to ever talk about this again. I still remember saying that to me. Yeah. We're not going to ever talk about this again, but you cannot rob banks or whatever. You know, yeah, whatever or whatever it was. Yeah. And we never talked about it again. And I never did it again. So I think that taught me to like, it's over. Let's move on. Even when, even when I was a young adult, one time she said that to me. You know, my, my mom used to, was not really, uh, well, she was. She did go to college, but for some reason, my mom used a ton of double negatives, a ton of them. Did she? And one time, I was like twenty three or twenty four. I said, "Mom, why do you use so many double negatives?" Oh, and she got so upset. She thought she accused. Me, she was like going, "You're accusing me of being an idiot or something." And she and she said to me, even then, she goes, "We're never going to talk about this again." But <laughs> I do not appreciate you giving me a hard time for the way I talk. And I was like, okay, we won't talk about it. And I did. All right. <laughs> this is probably the first time I've thought about it since. Yeah. You know, so we didn't hang on to stuff. We we were taught by her, hey, it's over with, let's go on. 
So we talked about this a little bit, but how has mindfulness affected your emotions, Gary? I don't hold a lot of uh, emotions because of it. And I don't hold a lot of pain or being upset or being mad. I guess those are all strong emotions. I I pretty much live my life without any of those. You know, I mean, I don't dislike anybody. I mean, I had someone embezzle $385,000 from me a few years ago. Yeah. And I I don't hold any animosity to them. I got most of it back. I feel sorry for them. I'm sure their life is more ruined than mine, Mm -hmm. you know, from having to borrow the money from their parents to pay me back. You know, seeing how they just pissed it away (laughs) when they got it from me. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I I would have to say it's helped me because I I don't really harbor any anger or or anything like that, which I guess is a terrible emotion when you really get down to it. Things that have happened because of anger. Yeah. Uh, We talked about this a little bit before we went on air, but uh, tell us, does breathing have any part in, in your mindfulness practice? And it doesn't. I'm not into breathing. I'm not I don't even know that much about it. And I actually, I think, brought that up going, I don't know anything about this breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'm sure it's great. Everybody that I heard talk about it told me the wonders. Maybe I need to investigate it. Yeah. But uh, at the moment, I don't do any kind of breathing or meditation or anything like that. I just, you know, I just enjoy life. Well, I know you love Facebook, but uh, my question is, can you share an app which helps you to kind of be more mindful, more grounded? But most of my apps that I use are strictly for business. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even know if I have anything on my phone that's not a business app, to be honest with you. I'm pretty much pretty focused on that one thing, even the, now that I'm 61 and successful. That's what I like to do. That's mm-hmm. It's fun for me to to make money and do business. I mean, I wake up every morning thinking how I'm going to make you know money while I'm sitting there. Cool. So, I mean, that's my, that's my, my excitement. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, my last question is, what advice would you give a person who is kind of the opposite to you? You know, they've got a million things floating around in their mind. They're trying to make money or they're trying to do something and they just can't seem to get moving. What advice would you give someone like that? Well, I think another one of my successes, and I know people say this is not a successful tip, is I only do things 80% of the way. Mm. And then I'm ready to go on to something else. I don't sit there and dwell to get it to 100%. I really feel like 80% is good enough, and all you have to be is good enough. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be good enough, and 80% is good enough, I feel. You know, while that other person's working on that last 20%, I've done two 80s, and I'm halfway through with my third 80. Right. You know, and then the other 20 can happen over time, you know, refinements. It's kind of like doing a podcast. You know, a lot of people... I run into people all the time who want to do a podcast because I'm in podcasting a lot. Mm-hmm. And they'll come and go, I got this show. I'm getting ready to do, blah, blah, blah. And I see them six months later getting ready to do my show. And I go, guys, weren't you getting ready to do that show six months ago? Yeah, I'm almost there. I just have some more stuff to tweak. And then two months later, I'm almost there. I just got to get this outro just right. I'm going, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Just do the show. It's gonna Just be, do the darn thing. If you look at it a year from now, it's going to be terrible no matter how long you wait. Yeah. You can't start getting it better. You can't start improving until you start doing. Yeah. You can't improve it until you do it. So that's why I say my 80% is like, is how I pretty much, I just realized that I was interviewing, someone was interviewing me a month or two ago and I realized that. I said, I said gosh, I only do things 80% of the way and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to move on. And so yeah. I, I, I don't know that 80% of the way is the right number for people. That's about what I think I do. Mm-hmm. But I think people need to quit dwelling on perfection. 
to get things rolling. Just yeah. get your stuff figured out, get it to where it'll work decent and move on, get it going and then start improving. Yeah. Good advice. So I know you're uh, going to be launching your new season on your podcast soon, but tell our listeners, tell mindful tribe, how can we kind of tune into your podcast? How can we learn more about what you do and connect with you? Well, I got two links, I guess. If you want to find out, you know, want to see what I do, I guess the best way is to go to Leland's.org. I made that website strictly to show people when people ask me what I do on the phone, I can send them to that website. All right. Like, and it has mm-hmm. everything. That's all that's on there is what I do, which is a lot of stuff. Now, mm-hmm. my show, the Gary Leland show is at Gary And our new season coming up, we're changing the whole format drastically. So it's a 10 minute show where people can ask me questions and we can talk about the answer and discuss it. There's a form on the front page of GaryLelandShow.com. I've been in business for a long time. I've been kind of successful at it. And I've, I've been through, you know, working retail, working door to door, phone soliciting, internet, podcasting, social media, you name it. I pretty much have done it. If it comes to selling stuff, if it comes to marketing stuff, I pretty much have probably done it. And so I thought I would start a show where I could actually answer people's questions and help them. Well, Gary, it's been great talking to you. I've really enjoyed it, really enjoyed learning your type of mindfulness. And I really honestly believe you're totally a mindful guy, whether that's a word you ever used before. But you're really grounded. You're really focused. You're really centered in on what you want in your life. And you've created a life that you want. And so thanks a million for being on the show, Gary. Hey, I appreciate you uh, having me on the show. I've uh, actually learned some stuff, which I like doing. You know, I like learning stuff as much as possible. I like putting new information and positive information in the computer bank. And uh, I don't think that uh, there's anything negative can come out of this conversation for sure. I agree. I agree. Well, you have a great rest of your day, Gary. Bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. To thank you for listening, I'll send you a free copy of my book. I teamed up with author Brian Tracy, along with some other entrepreneurs, to create the best-selling book called Cracking the Success Code. You'll learn more about my story and how I became an anti-bullying advocate, which later led to mindfulness and my mindfulness coaching. Get the book free at mindfulnessmode.com cracking. Enter your name and email and you'll have your book downloaded in no time. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.